What's up, guys? You're listening to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally, and today we start out by catching up. If you want to hear us just kind of catch up and talk about some of the interesting stuff that's happened this contest season, we'll start out for the first 18 minutes doing that. From there, at the 18-minute mark, and by the way, we have show notes with timestamps. So if you want to search around and listen to specific parts, you're welcome to. The bulk of the content starts at about the 18-minute mark today. We go deep on growth hormone. Then after that, we talk about training with an injury. Uh, then we get into does HIT training have any specific health benefits to it that you would get over, say, volume training? Uh, and then we have a listener that has low red blood, low hematocrit, low hemoglobin, and he's on gear. So we try to tackle that one and a bunch more, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Muscle Minds. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds. I'm Scott McNally. Of course, I'm here with Dr. Scott Stevenson. Um, all of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. And uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, do us a favor, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Uh, we have several podcasts coming out each week. We haven't had a Muscle Minds in a little while, but Scott's back. What's up, man? Not much. It was a little chilly today, so I'm dressed as most people normally would be in December. Yes. But this will this will come off soon. Eventually because it's sunny. It's gonna be probably sixty. Florida. The last day in Florida. Free state. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. It's so true though. They're bringing everything down to Florida, like the Olympia, the Nationals. Yeah. I saw Dave's guy just cleaned up. Oh, Dave who? Dave Kalick? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was like, okay, there's their winner. <laughs> Who's getting second? Yeah, Chris Robinson. Cool. He looked fantastic. Yeah, right, right. The only thing that was sort of interesting, and there was one, the picture that's posted here, it's not so bad, but there's some pictures I saw where it looked like he was not, it looked like he lost. He really? Had this, yeah, like Stan and Dave are like, Stan McQuay, Dave are like, they got nice smiles. They're like, happy, this is, like, this is awesome. Just And he's just like, I saw that. I was like, yeah. "Does he not? Is he not thrilled right now?" Yeah. You know, <laughs> like no matter like how starved you are, dehydrated or like, you know, even if you're like being carried out on a stretcher, you're like, "I fucking won!" You know, they, yeah. Well, people would have a smile, and I don't know what was going on there. I just I wondered if there was a backstory to that that maybe I missed because of my um my absence, but that was just kind of funny. I'm like, "Did he win or what happened? Like, what's going on?" But he looked great. Yeah, he did. He did. Dusty yeah. said that, too. He was like, when I saw everybody, I was like, okay, so that guy's going to win, and then who's going to be second here? Oh, you it was know? clear. Yeah, it was crystal clear. He liked to go, that, that, guy's, that guy's like the guest poser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's already pro and everyone else. So I felt that way when I competed against uh, Errol Moore. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, he, was, he turned pro since later that year. That's when mm -hmm. I went out to Los Angeles, competed with him. We weren't in the same class, but he weighed in right before me. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, I'll go fly out to L.A., see what it's like competing out here at the Titan Classic. And the guy in front of me works with um, Milos. His legs were like <laughs> gigantic, you know, hamstrings yeah. just looking nuts. Right. We're both standing there in our trunks. And I'm like, huh, so I'm going to be competing against this guy. Right. A really cool dude. He's And he's grown yeah. since. He was actually at the Olympia. He made it in on points, I believe. Oh shit! Uh, Two twelve. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, cool. That's dude. how I feel at every show, Scott. Like every <laughs> show, because well, they're all pro qualifiers now, and you know, for the for the old guys. Yeah. But like, there's always you know, I'm always getting destroyed. <laughs> they're always just amazing yeah. bodybuilders. So yeah, I know, I know the feeling, man. Yeah. 
the the um, the amateur Olympia was much bigger than it had been previously this huh. year. Okay, and it was kind of cool. Um, was I, I've told a couple people this story, but it because they had Masters USA's, which was like about a week before that. They did the Masters USA's. Did you follow along the way they stacked the shows and yeah. what happened with those shows? Yeah, so. It was a strange thing that the Masters USA is on like a Thursday and a Friday. Maybe it was a Wednesday and a Thursday. Yeah. And they did like the over 35s and the over 50s on the same day. Huh. Okay. And then the over 40s and over 45s on the next day. Mm-hmm. So like what anyone who almost always who does one age group will do like the next one down. That's what I've always done. Just like, you know, you might as well step up there again and maybe give another go. In mm-hmm. the past sometimes – it would be interesting because you could actually like win um, in an age group that wasn't your highest possible age group. Mm-hmm. So if you're 42, you might do the over 40s, over 35s. You might guys would win the over 35s because there weren't that many there, and someone uh-huh. else might be them over 40s. So yeah, that literally that's happened a lot. Not so much anymore, but they used to always happen. So if you're an over 50 and you want to do the Masters USA's, and you want to do the over 45s, which makes sense, sure, because you're over 50, you could do another one. You got to compete on Thursday and Friday, hmm. <laughs> which is just, I've they've never done it that way. I've never seen it. They've never in all the masters level shows, probably the 12 or 12 of them, 15 of them that I've done. Yeah. They don't, they'd never split it up like that because that, that dissuades people from doing that. So then if you were like an over 35 guy, I think there's some that did this um, and you wanted to compete at the USA's, which was right after that. Yeah. I think it was Wednesday, Thursday was Masters USA's, and then the USA's was Friday, Saturday, something like that. Okay. You would compete on, like, Wednesday, and then have Friday, the next day off, and then compete the next day. Yeah, that's that's brutal, and I can't imagine you're going to look your best for both of those. No, it would just make some more, so much more sense to put the younger guys closest, so they could maybe do two days in a row, yeah. a two-day show, or, or something. Maybe I don't But know. maybe they figured, hey, you're going to get on stage regardless. that's true it doesn't matter like what class you're in like i mean if if we don't get you up with the bodybuilders i'm sure someone can lend you some board shorts you can go up there with those dudes yeah it'd be fine we'll get you on stage today none of that matters but so this but this this was an over 35 it wasn't a pro qualifier this one was not the the amateur olympia because over 35 and no weight classes Mm -hmm. just all you had to do was be over 35 and it is international anyone could do it and I think I was the only, I think I may have been the only person, there was like, I think, I want to say 23 or maybe 25 mm-hmm. people, guys in the, in the class. I may have been the only one whose, whose uh, native mother tongue was English. Everyone oh, no else kidding. was Spanish speaking, some Italians, I think. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing was that they didn't have, um, like anyone back there that was bilingual. <laughs> oh, wow. See. Wow. Yeah, I was trying to like, you know, do some hand waving and, you know, throw some Spanish because some of the guys, I mean, they hadn't they competed, I'm sure before, but they didn't know the verbiage mm-hmm. and they didn't know, like, even the poses so much. There was one point in time that um, I'm blanking on his name now. One of the main the guy, if you watch the Olympia, the guy who was expediting on stage almost the entire time. Um, Black dude with the glasses. Yep. Yeah. 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 I've always wanted to know what his name is. I wanted to do an interview I wanted, with him. I wanted to say it was Ken, but. He's a nice guy. Yeah. yeah, we were laughing about something backstage, but, but, so, 
there was this totally, it was like I was in another country doing the show. It was like I was in South America or something. Yeah. And there's a totally different vibe amongst the guys. And like, they're all like amped up. The guy right in front of me who, I don't know where he, he and I probably, I placed like somewhere in the middle and he probably did too. He wasn't in the first call out. I don't even know. I was in the second call out, but I'm not sure if he was in the, he, he might've not even been in the second call out. I, I, I'm not positive, but he's right there on the edge of the stage because his, he had a number. I was five, and he was three or something. And he gets on the edge of the stage, and his friends come up, his wife, his family, and they're snapping photos. He spent like eight minutes just hamming up for the like. He's not. It's not like you know, get a photo. Okay, I'll get back so the judges can look at you. He didn't like. I don't give it. He didn't give a rat's ass. He's just like posing and like hitting quad shots and most musculars. The yeah. whole thing. He's doing a whole posing routine right there. They they pull the first call out, and everyone's going bonkers. Yeah, the enthusi- and there's not very many people. There's just great enthusiasm, you know, and it's all, of course, in in variety of languages other than English. Yeah, and I've seen that happen at the uh, at the Arnold Amateur because they'll have big groups from different yeah. countries, Middle Easterners. Like we were the in 2018, I think we were it's the so only badass. U.S. people in the audience, like the only English speaking people in the audience, right. even you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was you know, some, I'm sure some people probably had U.S. citizens. There may have been some people from. You know, Puerto Rico or something like that. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so like the one of the guys who I think he maybe got third, he was like, it was like it's like it was like he was the only one on stage. They pull him up for the comparisons. He's hitting shots. He's like, it's like yeah, yeah. It's like it's like <laughs> it's like this, but you can see it like it came across as being like I'm the most egotistical narcissistic guy in the world. If you weren't thinking of it from the context of that's just his culture, man. He's just stoked. Yeah. That's how he is, you know. That's just like there's different cultural awareness and different mannerisms, those sorts of things. And it was like I was like I'm in a totally different country. Yeah. But the guys didn't understand what the judges were saying. So at one point in time, this is why I brought up the expediter, whose name we can't remember. He um he pulled in, they pulled in like a sixth guy for the first call out. He's right it's right there in front of me. Walter says it's Troy, by the way. That's his first name. Yeah, Troy, that's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's a cool guy. Kenny I knew there was a Y in there somewhere. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> you could probably see this if you if you if someone had bought the footage. So all these guys are so amped up, they keep on stepping forward. <laughs> They're oh, getting yeah. Off the line. yeah. They kept on pulling them back. Like that's the like this, like this anti like, you know, bulls in the corral. Like we want the fuck out of here. Yeah. They keep on stepping forward and they're posing and they're just not sitting still. It's like they're not settling down so they can start doing one of the turns. And he, Troy's having to keep come moving them, move them back, move them back. And he like moved them back. And then they start getting closer and start banging elbows again. It's like, it's like, they're, it's like trying to corral cats. Yeah. And <laughs> they pulled the sixth guy out, you know, and he's on the end. And um, he had stepped forward because everyone else was stepping forward. Yeah. And I'm like, he's like, well, I guess I'm, I mean, you, you might as well, right? Everyone else. And they pulled and they pulled everyone back and he keeps on stepping forward and he'd come in too close. And he was kind of on the end. It's like they had a lineup for five, and they put him there. Yeah. And Troy got really frustrated. I bet. Really frustrated. And he came out, and he's like, he's like, get back, get back. I've get never back, seen him get, get worked up before. No, yeah. me, me neither. He's always cool. He's a cool customer, man. <laughs> yeah. But but he, I think he's just like, I don't know what else to do, because, like, get back. So he was, he was like. Amp, you know, quadrupling his body language and his his volume yeah. of what he was saying, like yelling, "Get back!" So the guys finally like, "Oh shit!" You know, so he like steps back, and then they didn't start the posing, and the guy was like, "Oh fuck, I'm not even supposed to be here," and he left. 
he walked off the line. He went back. He went back to the back of the stage because oh, he had, Troy had been so adamant about get back. Yeah. And then he was like, okay, like maybe he started thinking like, oh, maybe oh shit, I'm not get, supposed to. Maybe yeah. like that's why he went. Like, why is he going off like that? Yeah. He didn't. He didn't, couldn't follow Dom. So the poor guy felt bad for him. He steps. He goes so all he the way in the back. Left the, the call out. He left the he call left out. The call out because. Troy didn't wasn't telling him to do that. He was just telling him to get back on the line. Yeah, but the communication was so horrible. Did, did they bring him back out, or were they like? Oh yeah, like, okay. He came back out. You know, I think something someone said to something to him, and Troy may have came and got him again. Oh, but man. yeah, like it was really. And then after that, it was cool, you know, because it was the first call out was the you know where the real comparisons were. The other ones just okay, whatever. You guys are the the second tier, you yeah. know, yeah. guys. So they they ran us through, and there was no issue. Um. I had to help a couple of guys. I think I helped a couple of guys on stage, you know, because you don't need, like you don't know the numbers. I mean, I know uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, and then I'm like, okay, now when it gets to 33, like what fucking number is that? Like, yeah. unless I Google it on my phone. Oh yeah, 33. What that what that sounds like in the language that I don't speak. Yeah, I'm not gonna know it's me. Yeah, Mike yeah. Davies has so Mike runs the Arnold Amateur. He has like eight different translators. He'll find the people he needs. So he'll have like a Russian translator, a Portuguese translator, you know, Spanish, everything that you could right. possibly need. He had one that was really weird that obviously we didn't know things were going to go up in flames for the Arnold this past year, you know, in 2020. But I can't remember what it was, but he was looking for like a very specific odd translator uh, uh -huh. this last year. But yeah, he keeps it all. He'll have like nine of them there. So that they can yeah. get really good communication. It's, right. it, it'd be very interesting. So that that sounds like it was quite a show. <laughs> it was. I mean, that was that's my. You know, some people wouldn't have thought anything about it. You yeah. know, I, but I I was soaking in, you know, everything that I could for the show. So it was that was. I thought that was cool. I like. It was just different than what I ever sure. done before. Sure. And it was just like you know, kind of a practice run for me to try out try out some new things. Yeah. I'd even mentioned to the couple of the ladies that are that work back there. I said, you guys. I was just seeing what was going to, I was just sort of foreseeing the future. I'm like, there's going to be some problems here. Cause like the guy in front of me was asking questions and he, like he had, we had, they just explained everything, how it's going to work. And he didn't, he had no, he got nothing. He had no mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. And they didn't actually explain what I thought had happened. I even asked this question. They, they confirmed it, but they must have understood my question was that we were going to do our, our, our prejudging and then let the judges calculate the placings and then immediately bring us back yeah and give um and then end it right there so like literally one class uh, or maybe like you know have another prejudging and bring like like as, as soon as possible like literally on the stage judging they do that sometimes right it can be done i guess maybe maybe the classes were too big but so they so they actually judged us and then judge us and then they went through the entire um prejudging and then they came everyone they kept us there oh yeah and then if you didn't make the top five or six, um, you didn't pose. Yeah. And they didn't even they didn't they didn't even do the um, intros. Okay. So it's normal if you don't make the top five or six, they they bring you back out, and they just introduce you. You hit a pose, and you go off stage. Yeah. And it's a pain in the ass because you have to wait. Like you literally, if you if, if that's all you do, you don't do anything else. That's all. That's so a lot of guys don't show up at these masters level shows. Okay. Yeah. In fact. In fact I would almost say most of them, like a majority of them don't. Huh. Okay. Which I don't think is great sportsmanship. I always like, I always have something to kind of finagle in the afternoon, see if I can figure something out. Like, you know, should I get fuller or get drier? I don't know. Like, 
So I'll trial something and then see how it works out over the course of that day. Because mm-hmm. you're in that very unique spot after having done a whole peak week protocol or, or just, you know, having done what you did to be ready in the morning. Mm-hmm. So why not, you know, spend five or six hours trying to, like, figure something new out or gain some more experience that confirms your old experience? Yeah. So I'm like, I'll just do that, you know. Yeah. And you come back and but, – but it's, like, it's tiresome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to do that because so a lot of guys don't show up. In fact – <clears throat> there were, I think, I want to say there was two. I have to go. Maybe I can look. There was at least one guy who was in the top five who didn't show. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. So they moved somebody up. So that's why they brought everyone back. Mm, yeah. Um, there may have been two, but at least one. And um, they like they said, hey, you know, everyone stick around, stick around. They kept on calling, kept on calling. And literally about a two minutes before they're about to bring them out, you know, to have them do their routines and pose downs like, okay, we need 219. Well, whomever it's like 219. You hear it's like, yep, you just made the top five. 233 didn't show. Yeah. And that shit happens, you know, no kidding. not that he won the show, but he just knew he wasn't going to win. So they just don't come back sometimes. That's lame, man. Yeah. man but I we mean... didn't even do the pose. So this time we came up, I didn't mind. I was like, okay. Cause it's just kind of like, ah, feels sort of silly sometimes yeah i feel like you're just holding people up to be honest <laughs> okay that's how i feel it's like like you already saw me in the prejudging and now you like you want to see me hit one pose like you don't need to acknowledge me it's all good yeah i don't need that you know but um so like if you didn't make the top five they just said okay you're done i said no intros no finally no no you're done yeah okay go eat yep go eat okay good bye huh. so yeah there was not that was that's never i've never seen that in any of the national, well, this is a national show, international show, but I've never seen that. They always sort of force people to do that. Hmm. But, um, you know, there was one time, I may have told this story on the show. There was one time in the past, what they would do was bring all those guys out yeah. who weren't in the top group. And this was kind of cool. I like this much more so and line us up and just announce us, you know, John, George, blah, blah, blah. And then they'd have us pose down. Really? It's like it's like the best of the losers. Yeah. Type of by type of thing. And there was one guy who I think was just got totally gypped. He yeah. felt really bad. So I I and I've been talking backstage. So we had like this hilarious fun pose down, knocking heads, you know, that whole thing. Oh like, yeah. You know, yeah, that whole we did we just hammed it up on stage and I like I at least wanted to give him like a nice, you know, going out energy boost because he should have been placed higher. Just something happened. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. But so they're not even doing that now because people aren't showing up. It's like that's weird. Yeah, it's kind of odd to me. But it's on you know, I guess sportsmanship is a it's a dying aspect of our lives. So, hmm. well, hey, listen, what do you uh, what do you have for us today? I know that we 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 did get a couple questions that are popping up in the feed, but Uh-oh. I see you've got some stuff here too. I've got some couple of figures and a, a Scott Stevenson original figure. <laughs> couple of them how good are the questions let me look at the questions if well we have I, one from david uh, and he's asking about um what is it related to cancer risk using igf could it be lessened by using it alongside uh, growth hormone um and that so that there's converted igf uh, bp3 in the system I heard, okay, this this is what I've heard Dr. Serrano say. Yeah. He said that 
there it, and I've heard John Meadows say it as well, repeating Dr. Serrano. And then I heard Rhonda Patrick say something kind of similar that that IGF on its own may be able to create cancer. I, that that's Rhonda Patrick's thought is that IGF on its own may create cancer in an otherwise healthy person over long-term abuse, basically when used by athletes. Um, mm -hmm. Now what Serrano had said was that by using exogenous growth hormone, there's a series of checks and balances that occur so that the IGF isn't completely unfettered that, that by combining so if you were to use igf to combine that with growth hormone so that you do have like some of those checks and balances in place so what i think Rhonda and um dr serrano meant by the un regarding igf1 being unfettered is that you're prompting an endogenous igf1 release so this is a somatomedin hypothesis. Growth hormone stimulates IGF-1 release from the liver, also at some local other tissues like bone and muscle to some degree, not gigantic amount. There's some of that going on. And you've initiated that, and that's a hormonal cascade with a feedback loop built into it. So yeah, that, would, that will then inhibit, like, I don't know exactly the mechanisms. I can't point to what's going on you know, in the liver cells, for instance, but that increase in IGF-1 that would then feed back to the liver and keep further elevations of IGF-1 in check. Okay. Fettered. If, if, that's a great word. That's an awesome word. I, I like yeah, that. they didn't use it. Yeah. That was oh, okay. my that's, word. That's, 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 a, that's a McNallyism. <laughs> I like it too. It's a good word. So yeah, but that's, exact, that's totally the right, right deal. And that's, that's what feedback inhibition is all about, is to try to check some balances on any of the aspects of the hormonal cascade or the hormonal axis getting out of check. Hmm. So that's that's how that would work but if you've got an exogenous source of igf1 coming in that's further amplifying igf1 elevation then that doesn't that that doesn't apply anymore because you're basically you're you're bringing igf1 in it's kind of like using a growth hormone secretagogue versus using exogenous growth you're going to have down regulation of sensitivity to the secretagogue you know, GHRP or what have you, whatever combination injectables or the MK677 you're using. And eventually that will, that will to some degree balance out the amount of growth hormone release you get. Mm -hmm. In this case, when you use growth hormone to get an IGF-1 elevation, it's basically the same kind of thing. But if you've got IGF-1 coming in, it, this, here's an analogy. This will probably um, be like to make it all come together. So imagine if it would be like saying, um, I'm using... Uh, some growth hormone peptides and and I want to to elevate growth hormone will uh, sorry will using growth hormone peptides to elevate growth hormone offset the effects ad adverse effects of using injectable growth hormone like like no you you put in 10 I use 10 I use goes in you put in 20 I use 30 I use you could you know you could hypothetically put in the thousand I use of growth hormone Whew, yeah there's there's no there's no feedback. It's just coming in. It's there. It'll be broken down and taken away in the ways that it will be. So, no. But what you would possibly do by adding growth hormone on top of IGF one is compound your cancer risk from those cancers that are growth hormone um, sensitive. 
or affected by growth hormone levels. Mm, okay. So, I mean, IGF-1 is like there's numerous cancers whereby the, the cancer cells have become their cancer cells are immortal. That's the problem. So normally cells will undergo mitosis. You get two from one and, and more and more, but some of them die. Mm-hmm. And of course the cell regulates itself in the tissue so that the tissue doesn't just grow into a big tumor. It maintains the tissue shape and fun- function, physiology and form. Um, so that it does what it's supposed to do. You don't, so that you have a lip, not a big, you know, lip tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, on your lip or the tissues that make up your lip, not a big tumor. Yeah. But if those cells become cancerous, one of the ways that that can happen is that they start over, or one of the things that's involved with that can be overexpression of IGF one. Mm-hmm. So that, and, cause that just, so that just keeps on bringing about growth in those cells and triggering new growth, mm-hmm. um, and mitosis. So it's, so the IGF one is a, like one of the main main molecules that's involved with cancer and just unbridled growth of cells when that's elevated, especially beyond physiological levels to what you're going to try to do when you use exogenous, exogenous IGF one. So that's like, that probably, you know, I I can't, that would, I would, I would not be surprised if that's involved with, you know, 85% or 80 plus the large, the vast majority of cancers probably have some IGF one sensitivity. I've, Looked this up before growth hormone. I, I've only there are some. I'm not, I can't remember which ones they are, but there are some that specifically have been connected to growth hormone hmm. in particular. Okay. So, <clears throat> and here's the thing: like one of the things that um, you know, we know, like if you if you and this is a Rhonda Patrick thing too. You know, if you fast, fasting tends to reduce IGF one. Yeah. It's it's not anabolic. It's catabolic. Yeah. In Fasting also increases life expectancy. So there's all sorts of like we could go on and on with this sort of um, interplay between those things that bodybuilders do to promote growth and grow and overeat and have lots of IGF-1 versus what people who limit their caloric intake do and what that means in terms of all sorts of health risks and all sorts of health parameters. And IGF-1 is is one of the a centerpiece molecule that differentiates the off season, push the food, get mm. as big as you can, inject IGF one type of thing mm-hmm. versus what happens to IGF one while you're dieting down. Mm. So, but yeah, I mean the cancer thing, like, like that's such a generic and it's an important question. Obviously if someone has a family history of cancer, I would try to go and figure out what cancer their family members have had mm-hmm. and then and then see if they can get a genetic and I don't know which one would be the best one at this point in time um, but you know get a get a genetic test run it through Prometheus or or run it through um, a single nucleotide polymorphism checker that'll look for the specific uh, gene polymorphisms yeah. variants that predispose people to different cancers yeah and you can get your own profile, like what your you can get some idea of your of your disposition. So that way, I mean, not that it will necessarily be it's not a, like going to be a hundred percent accurate. And actually, there are, there are papers that have looked at this, and I I think I it was I read a blog somewhere where um, it's really quite funny. Someone went and had their um their it was just a heritage testing type of genome analysis, but it told them just dramatically different things. Hmm. About you know what their genetic heritage was and you can get false positives for 
single nucleotide polymorphisms on those tests that are geared towards that mm -hmm. to try to give you sort of a health risk inventory. Um, and some of the some of the commercially available tests are not very good. And I can someone wants they can mess with me. I'll send them a paper. It's been two or three years now. But so you can't even trust in those entirely. Yeah. But if you do one of those and you're like, OK, shit, I got like, you know, eight high risk genes for cancers that are IGF one and or growth hormone, which could was also going to evolve IGF one because elevated growth hormone is going to mean elevated IGF one. All those things being equal. Yeah. It's like, you know, I probably shouldn't be playing around with IGF-1. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but that goes up when you overeat. That goes up when you, when you, over, when you, when you, the more you eat. It's sure. a really powerful marker of nutritional status. Yeah. People who are starving, like burn victims who are really catabolic, IGF-1 goes in the tank. Hmm. <clears throat> um, so that's like, just as an aside, people talk about, you know, growth hormone means higher, more growth hormone means higher IGF-1. And that's how a lot of people will test their exogenous growth. But when you diet, IGF-1 goes down. Okay. What do you think happens to growth hormone when you when you diet, if, if you're not injecting it? Well, we just had, we had a re related question here. It says, uh, this is from, uh, let's see. Uh, Answer question, question. Gil Gillard Ron, he says, doesn't fasting increase GH secretion? From his understanding, many proponents of fasting claim that it does. It does. That's that's its major metabolic, one of its major metabolic roles um, during post-development, after the bones are fused and it's not promoting growth. That's why you when you don't see, you'll see some, some, some sort of strange skeletal abnormality sometimes on people who use lots of growth hormone. Their feet will get larger and facial changes. But no one's getting taller. Right. Some of that's explained by um, well, the amounts and the fact that the growth plates are already fused. But didn't you? But, didn't that relate? Weren't you? Didn't you say in relationship to not eating? Was it? Well, that's where I'm going. Okay, so, I see. So a after all that's done, after the growth and development's done, you're a fully formed adult, so to speak. Uh huh. And growth hormone is not directing, you know, skeletal maturation of your bones. It's there as a fuel selector hormone it goes up when you exercise it goes up it goes up when you sleep hmm. especially if you sleep you don't eat very much and it's going up so that it will liberate fatty acids to be used as fuel so that you have glucose for your brain hmm. so when you fast when you don't eat growth hormone goes up when your hypocaloric growth hormone levels will elevate roughly in relative to the caloric balance that you have Mm -hmm. um, and when there's a lack of carbohydrate, you'll have more growth hormone release. Those two things are interrelated. So, mm. you know, you won't get the growth hormone elevation if you have carbs or even protein because insulin release will antagonize the growth hormone. But so, yeah, that's what growth hormone is really doing. So that's the, that's the thing is that, um, it's just me, it's causing lipolysis, liberating the free fatty acids. Those can be oxidized during exercise and those other conditions I just mentioned. So. Um, but IGF-1 will be low when you're starving too. So you diet, your IGF-1 goes down. And that was the way in the past if people wanted to get a prescription for growth hormone. Mm -hmm. You just go get your blood test done when you're dieted down and you're starving. Oh. Your IGF-1 will be really low. Hmm. And it'll be out of range because your diet's out of range because you're so calorically restricted. Hmm. And it's not because your growth hormone is low. Your growth hormone will be high. Hmm. 
but you don't want you don't want see here's the interesting thing and this is why you know it's it's so cool how the body's programming for what these genes can be doing what the what these molecules be doing when you're growing as a kid and you have growth hormone secreting causing IGF-1 secretion systemically that's because you're growing, you're eating, you're growing, you're, you're becoming, you know, a much larger human. You grow at the rate when you're a kid, you're an infant in childhood, much faster than you will unless maybe it's like your first cycle as a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. That growth rate is just stupendous. Yeah. You know, it's badass. Well, that makes sense then that growth hormone will be also directing IGF-1 because IGF-1 is very anabolic and it directs growth of tissues. So what you want is you're getting to be a, going from a little Scott to a big Scott, right? right? But when you're starving and you're already as big as you're going to be, you're already an adult, that part of your you know, growth and development's over with mm-hmm. you're during the stage of adulthood and thereafter. You don't and, and you, you, growth hormone then takes on a role of fuel provision. Huh. So it makes sure you've got fatty acids available so that you don't run out of glucose because your brain would prefer to have that to some degree. I see. Yeah. So then at that point in time, when you're starving, you don't want to be turning on IGF-1. Hmm. That'd be that's like putting on the brakes while you're pressing on the accelerator. Okay, that's like no, that's like those are you don't you don't want that. So that doesn't happen, and you're and there are mechanisms in place to ensure that now that somatin-medin hypothesis is is a disconnect now between growth hormone stimulating IGF one. Hmm. Okay, it's different, and it's so so there there's a, a specific connection between those two hormones that is dependent upon the growth and development of the organism. Huh, okay. Go figure, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that's what people don't get when they say, well, you know, I, I went in, I, I got bunk growth hormone, I injected the 10 I use, and I measured two and a half hours later, I followed the damn protocol, my IGF-1 sucks. Yeah. You know, and I'm dieting for a show, damn it, and I'm, I'm grouchy, and I, and, I, and I want my good growth hormone. It's like, it doesn't mean you don't have good, bad growth hormone, it just means you had a shitty IGF-1 release, which is reflective of your diet, not the, not the growth hormone you injected. Holy shit, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad this was like, cause like I see this constantly as something that yeah. that people say. You can obviously just do a growth hormone test. That's a much better way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and those IGF one tests, all of the things being equal for someone who's, you know, kind of perma bulking or just not, you know, if they if they standardize the, the dietary condition and the, you know, what that your weight is stable, then that will be reflective of the growth hormone to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's and it's and here's the thing. I don't even know. It's it's very possible because you, the growth there are different growth hormone receptors. Okay, that's one reason why some people may or may not be receptive. Yeah, um, just different isoforms there. So um, that also the genes there also could, also the gene for the growth hormone binding protein too. So that's a part of this whole whole play. But what happens after growth hormone um, binds to its receptor? Ah, oh, I got one of those. Yes, yes, yeah, cool. I went, I was supposed to go there this year, or last year. Yeah, this year, still this yeah, year. Well, we, yeah, we were we were supposed to. What was that talk Ken was going to have us do? The um sort of insights, like you know, successful insight type of thing. We're yeah. still going to do it, I think. Yeah, yeah. you were going to. I was going to talk gonna about podcasting. Right. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, it still happens. Yeah. yeah, I have a couple of those now. He gives great gifts, man. Yeah, this is beautiful, I isn't get, it? This yeah, is it held up well. If you guys, yes. if you guys haven't heard of it, you should go to Swiss. Scott will have a code, I'm sure. When it, when it comes, I'll have a code. They have codes? Okay. Yeah, there'll be codes, like early entrance codes. Right. But it's uh, it's a it's a group of people like Scott. 
all of the Scots get together in North America and other places yes. and uh, go to Canada. Muscle Brainerds. Muscle Brainerds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, the growth hormone, obviously hormones have different effects depending on the tissues. Okay. And yeah. different growth hormone. You see all these, this is just more, this, we're getting on a growth hormone topic here, but that's interesting you, though. It's good. I like this. this yeah. Good. Yeah. So like, you know, obviously people find when they use black market growth hormone versus farm grade growth, even different pharmaceutical preparations of growth hormone. Yeah. There's some variations there. Some of that's manufacturing. There's a whole, whole slew of things that could explain that. But some of it could means then that you may have a different growth hormone molecule. It's a different shape, let's say, okay. due to oxidation, methylation, various things that just change the shape of the key going into the lock, key being the growth hormone, the lock being the growth hormone receptor. And when that happens on one tissue, you would get um, you get lipolysis with it's a fat tissue. If it's if it's skeletal muscle, there's there maybe there's something going on there that's not doesn't seem to be greatly anabolic. If it's bone, it's going to have a different effect, obviously. And so what happens after you put the lock the key in the lock, those post binding um, messenger systems differ depending on the cell, mm-hmm. and it's also going to depend on what happens in the cell depends on the growth hormone itself. Mm-hmm. Some growth hormone works better than others. Hmm. That may be how well it binds to the, or how and how well it binds to the receptor. Mm-hmm. So the analogy that everyone knows about is there are lots of different drugs that all bind to the same receptor and have the same action supposedly, but the drugs work differently. Albuterol and clenbuterol. Yeah. Those are different. Both binding to the beta receptors. Different relative affinity. Affinity is just like how well it sticks. Mm-hmm. But there's also like when you put that put that in there, it's like this. It's like this super like wizard's key. Okay. You know, it's not like you turn you turn like that, but you you put it in and then it takes you in and then all the the tumblers start sliding and then it flips it around and like there's all this incredible um, molecular uh, binding that goes on that changes the shape of the growth hormone receptor on the inside and then that facilitates all the things that happen inside the cell. Mm-hmm. So depending on what kind of key you have, that's going to impact what happens in those cells. So it may be that, you know, you get one growth hormone. This is where I'm going with this one type of growth hormone that just doesn't do much as far as IGF-1 release. Okay. Because the nature of that interaction at the liver. Mm-hmm. But it may be really, may do a fine job at promoting lipolysis in the adipose cells, in the fat cells. Huh, okay. Yeah. And so you're not, it's not like, like another thing you, someone could do is, well, how well does my growth hormone how well does it work for fat loss? Yeah. So you'd go in and you'd get a baseline level of free fatty acids, huh. um, is what you'd have to probably do, inject your 10 IUs, and then monitor that. So what's the elevation of free fatty acids? Yeah. There's some you know things you'd have to be in a lab to do to look at oxidation and that kind of stuff, but you get some sort of marker of lipolysis. That would be interesting to see. That's that's really what you, most people are wanting from growth hormone, although yeah. some people seem like they feel like they grow from it. Yeah. Two, which might be IGF one mediated. I like the recovery personally. I feel like I recover yeah. better. Connective tissue. It has yes. a, you know effect on connective tissue. So that's mainly where its protein synthetic effects come into play. Okay. Not so much in muscle tissue. Okay. So, but that can vary as well. Um, person by person. Some people don't get that from growth hormone. Some people do. Yeah. Right. So, so that would be. An, I mean, that's that'd be a hard one to like. You can't. There aren't a whole lot of studies that have measured like connective tissue protein synthesis because you have to, at least the old technology was you had to sample, biopsy a sample of that. So like 
take a little sliver from your patellar tendon, mm, something yeah. like that. So you can do it with a radio isotope tracer of some sort and see how much um, of amino acids get incorporated into connective mm. tissue. But again, that you know, this is high end lab shit. But yeah, you're not doing that at Quest. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. No. no, you're lucky to get a nice, a good attitude and a happy, friendly face. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I'm hoping for is not to be with the grouch. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, anyway, that's one of the things. So, that, like, you can see, like, so not only is that IGF 1 not necessarily telling you how good the growth hormone is, it's not IGF 1 elevation for people who are using growth hormone for fat loss isn't even necessarily specifically reflecting growth hormones effect on the fat cells. Mm, okay. It's, it's showing you its effect on the liver and IGF one, which is, it's just kind of a moot point if you're dieting down, cause you're not going to expect an effect. Yeah. Maybe like if you inject massive amounts, you're just going to, you're just, it's super physiological. So you're going to override the system. Okay. It's not meant to work within those parameters. Those aren't the normal design parameters, you know, to have 10 IUs coming in all at one time. Right. Uh, that's a lot. Um, it's like five times daily output or something like that. So <clears throat> you will get an IGF-1 release from that. But it would be, it's still going to be, in my experience, somewhat dampened um, when someone's dieting. Huh. So so that's, uh, that's the thing. It's, you know, it, gr- measure growth hormone is a better way to sort of evaluate. And then there's also issues with the testing that happens there. So that's, you know, yeah. a, a, one, a growth hormone molecule might not show up so well given a radio amino assay that tests for growth hormone because what it would have is a binding at a binding protein that binds to some part of the growth hormone. Okay. And the extent to which that, that radioactive binding protein, the tracer isotope binds tells you, well, how much is bound to growth hormone tells you how much growth hormone was there. Okay. How much growth hormone you had and what the elevation was, but that sometimes the binding is not perfect. Hmm. So it's not going to be like you're getting every single growth hormone molecule, mm-hmm. and that the binding of that of that molecules for the test may not reflect how well the growth hormone binds to your receptors. Hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, I can yeah. see that. So yeah, so you might have you might have shitty binding with the with the binding protein the test and shitty binding of your growth hormone receptor, mm-hmm. or or good on both ends, or any combination thereof. Hmm. So, but that's why you have to be consistent. Like when people change labs. Mm-hmm. That can be a huge thing for like stuff like the free free antigens. Like there's two kind of tests done for free testosterone and they will show like a five or eight. Like it's like a large, it's like a five fold difference plus Hmm. in terms of the percent free or the values. Hmm. But it depends on which test they do. Hmm. And so that right, right. That, that there tells you that the test is just giving you some normative numbers based on this test. It's kind of like, Every time we go and we count the cows in that field, we're going to use this. We're, Bob's going to do it, and Bob lost an eye in the war, and his other eye he's a little nearsighted on. So he can get a good call, you know. Like if we're if it's truly a hundred, you're going to guess between like eighty and one twenty. Yeah. Or Bob always tends to be a little low. So like as long as we have Bob do it every time, if we're we're getting about eighty percent of the actual value. Yeah. Yeah. But then then if you go and you get you know Bob's great-grandfather bill who's been blind for 20 years he's gonna have like he's always gonna be low because he can't hear either so he thinks there's 20 cows and there's 100 yeah i'm this facetious scenario but you get the idea uh-huh. so neither of those numbers are particularly accurate okay 
But what's important is the change in the values or that you always go with Bob or Bob's great, great grandfather. Yeah. I'm going to go with Bob or we're just going to hire someone new, but. Well, I don't even know, like in the case of the like free testosterone, Uh which number is the accurate one, because Mm. we don't have an eagle eye GPS, you know, that counts or, or someone with a clicker that actually tells us the exact number. Okay. There's, there may be lab techniques that I'm unaware of that, that are, are known or thought to be more accurate. Mm-hmm. But the fact that both of those are used and still used, you know, somewhat regularity, like, like, so what is, like, what is it? Like, there's all sorts of potential ways in which error can creep into those measurements. Mm. So we don't know what the real value is. Because we're just presuming, but that's a, it's like a five-fold difference. I'll have to go and look. I can post some of that information, too, for people. Okay. But it can confuse people because they're like, oh, shit, you know, I tried boron or something like that to free up more tests, and it went the other way. It's like, what the hell? This is bullshit. It's like, well, what did you – well, I had, to, uh, I had to go get tested at, you know, at Quest instead of LabCorp. It's like, well, how do they test for free testosterone? Like, I have no idea. It's like, well, go check into it. I bet they use this test versus this test. So. Mm-hmm. You actually only went down by fifty percent, whereas the test is typically much more than that, low, lower, much much lower than that. So maybe you did get an increase, hmm. but I wouldn't count on it because you because you asked Bob and then you asked the great great grandfather. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? So yeah. Anyway, so um, I think that's enough growth hormone idea <laughs> to cover that question. Um, can I ask you this question here? This is from Michael. And it, it, I'd just be curious to hear what your input is on it. He says, just a simple question of um, what are some good exercises when you have a back-slash-spine injury? I would go to my keyboard and Google chiropractor injury, special back injury. Special. I would find a doctor and figure out what's going on. Get into the, Not necessarily a chiropractor. Go to your, G, your general practitioner figure out what's going on with your back. Okay. So is the question pop up? I want to make sure I cover all the, yeah, that was, that was the whole question. Okay. So, so you just want to know exercises when he has a back pain, basically. I mean, yeah, I guess that would make the most sense is figure out exactly what's going on with the injury first. Yeah. Cause it could, there's so many things it could be, it could be facet joint pain, which is local. Hmm. You know, it could be a bulge disc. And the spasming around the disc, and you're not getting any radiating because you're not impinging a nerve yet. Yeah. Um, it could be a muscle spasm. You know, it could be so many different. It could be even some referred pain hmm. where you got an injury somewhere else, and it and it just feels you have pain in another location. Yeah. That happens a lot of times. You know, and there's some known um, association between pain in one place and an actual injury or something going on in another place. Yeah. But for yeah, you gotta you gotta figure out what it is, first of all. You know what um, I've found for myself, and then I've seen a lot of people who, I I can almost call it now on certain people that so I hurt my back you know years ago, and then I continued to re-injure it for a long long time, and um, I got MRIs. Thankfully, there was nothing wrong with the discs. You know, everything structurally was was okay. And I found that for me, it was a muscular imbalance. And you know, we I probably have talked about it with you before. When I started the glute training, my whole thought was aesthetics. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I don't have good glutes. They just never really like turned on well. You know, some people are like, Mm -hmm. you know, remember when we were and you've heard other people say this when we did 
the um the the live advices radio event at the Arnold two years ago, and Josh Wade was there, and Josh yeah. was like, I just squat, and my glutes grow. He was like, I just suggest right. just squatting. It's like, but I did that obviously for years, and I still had yeah. you know like the white guy butt syndrome, um, directly training my glutes, and then talking with people, and then experimenting. I realized that my low back was compensating for glutes not turning on. So I'd bend yeah. over to do a T-bar row and my low back would hold as damn tight as it could. And let me tell you too, my, my, like my erectors were thick and I think they were yeah. so thick because they were compensating for glutes that sure. weren't working. But eventually in that bent over position with three and a half plates, there's going to be a minute that they, a moment that they strain. And then I'm right. out for three weeks, you know, waiting for my back to recover, strengthening uh-huh. my glutes was a huge factor. And now I'm seeing in other people that tell me they have low back pain and that clients of mine, and then I look at their physiques and I'm like, yeah, and you have no glutes either. And you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's these mysterious low back pains can be, can be fixed in cases like that, you know? Yeah. And and what you're talking about, the the other etiology of, of having atrophy glutes can also come about too in that, the person has low back pain and then they stop doing things yes. so they bend over and would engage the glutes and the glutes get small. Yeah. Yeah. That reason. So, so they're basically favoring, you know, the back injury and you do this stuff inadvertently all the time. Yeah. You know, you just, you just get used to not spending over in certain ways and not squatting down and, and eventually you get atrophy in that muscle. It can happen pretty rapidly sometimes. Yeah. Just cause you just don't like those, that the day to day, you know, let's say you, you, you bend over like, 150 times during a day, mm-hmm. you know, just picking up various things or the glutes get activated or walking and then, but then that goes from 150 to nothing. Right. And then, that, and then you, and then the whole, then you go down the, a, a dastardly spiral where, you know, then you stop moving less because your glutes get weaker. You stop engaging them less. The yeah. low back takes over more and then you end up with another injury. Yeah. But, but what did, did you ever figure out if there is any mechanical injury to your low back mechanical what do you mean by mechanical like 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 a disc no or, yeah yeah no any, i've had mris never got in a the diagnosis past. for the reason for the pain yeah yeah no yeah. I've ne- there, it okay. never had the i couldn't find a reason now i haven't had i haven't had an mri in years so who knows right. i may have done something since the last mri but that said, strengthening the glutes, I'm I'm able to handle way more than I was before, and I don't have those phantom moments where the back just goes out on me, you know. Yeah, well, you'll be able to engage the musculature more more correctly, so to speak, from a biomechanical standpoint across the posterior chain. Yes, exactly. That makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. like it, it literally, like you've got all you've got all these um, these pieces of the posterior chain puzzle. And you've got a weak link in the glutes. Well, mm-hmm. that means the other links have to take up the slack, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's where. You, so you're going to focus the injury risk, even if it's just like minor tweaks, like nothing like that's going to show up with an MRI or nothing that will will be around. You go in a month later and they do like a, a straight leg test or something like that, you know, on you, and nothing's going to show up because you're fine. You just tweak some things. Maybe you must just muscular strains. Yeah. Because you're putting all so much there. A lot of people have really, really, really tight hamstrings. Yes, yes. You know, and that, and that, the hamstring that that in that case it disallows them. It pulls them into a posterior pelvic tilt. Okay. And disallows the. So if you think of your pelvis as being kind of triangle like this, the hamstrings being back here, it pulls everything back. Well, that will tend to bow your low back. Okay. As opposed to having that nice anatomical 
lumbar arch that you have when you're just standing there. Uh-huh. There's some lumbar curvature that's just the normal lumbar curvature, which is somewhere where you want to be most of the time because that's where the discs and the vertebrae are stacked up on one another, the best for overall cushioning of the spine. Yeah. And if your hamstrings are tight, basically that, that pushes you into that that position that makes you cringe when someone's doing a deadlift or a squat and <laughs> yeah. their back starts to bow the wrong It's like, ah, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. That's that's where you can blow a disc, blow a disc. The posterior wall of the of the discs is weaker than the anterior, mm-hmm. and it also doesn't have the ligamentous support there. Mm. Um, so there's there's some mechanical reasons why our spines, why we tend to blow discs in the way we do that press on our on our, our vertebrae. Um, yeah. Partly, like you just can't have all that support structure back there because that's where the nerves exit come back in. Mm. So you got to have got to have some openings, and the fact that you have openings is kind of like. If you're going to bring in like the satellite cable from the roof, you got to make a hole in the roof to get it through. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's where you're going to tend to get water coming through the roof. Oh yeah. All other things being equal. So that's where you're going to tend to get an injury just because that's just part of the anatomical design. Plus, plus evolutionarily, we've not only been bipedal for a relatively short period of time. We're not really built to be walking upright entirely. Okay. We're pretty good at, I mean, we're doing all right, but like putting, you know, 500 pounds on our backs, like that's, (laughs) That's not what, you know, we've been doing for eons, Yeah, you know, because being upright is just a relatively new, I mean, look at the other primates. They can walk upright, but they're not that far from us, genetically speaking, or even didn't branch that long ago evolutionarily, but they're not, they're not walking upright. Yeah. You know, they're dragging stuff now and again, but they're not doing, they're not squatting like we try to. Yeah. So, but yeah, but definitely back to his question, he just go get it checked, see if you can figure out what's going on there. So. You don't try to do some rehab or something that exacerbates it and makes it worse. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes it's like it's a crazy thing. I'll just like this is sort of a little bit of mini rant or an offshoot. But some people, all, they'll say like, you know, what do you guys do for elbow tendonitis? Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, go to a doctor. And why why would I say that? Because if someone says they have tendonitis in their elbow, that's like you're saying you have a headache in your foot. Because your elbow's a joint. Okay. You would have elbow arthritis. Mm, okay. Not tendonitis. Yeah. Means you have uh, you have inflammation of one of the tendons in the area of the elbow. Right. It, it, could, it could be tennis elbow or golfer's elbow or triceps tendonitis or some other things as well. Um but when you say elbow tendonitis, like literally that, that shows that you're not, you don't have like a basic, and this isn't like, I'm not pissing on anybody, but it's because everyone says it that way. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's the common way to say it, but it's like, that tells you nothing because that, that could literally be golfers or like those things I just mentioned, mm-hmm. all of which would be, could be treated generically with, you know, anti-inflammatories mm-hmm. or just throw something, you know, throw like Quan Luong oil on it, which I'll touch on just a second that came up on another on a, on a board just recently and just, just try to like you know get through it and that happens that'll work but if it's a chronic thing that keeps on coming back and you found a good fix for yours like you're you know, you've you know you've engineered your way out of out of that injury risk just by being very very cognizant of all the things that were going on Absolutely. and that's brilliant but if you're not really sure and like you can't get a handle on it Try to figure out what it is because there's yeah. something in the back of so many different things. So, you know, if you try like oh, I've been, I'm taking glucosamine and aspirin and 
you know, I'm rapping it, all this kind of stuff, and I still have elbow tendonitis. It's like, like you're not even like like saying like it's right here on the tip of my elbow, uh-huh. you know, or you know, there's no, there's no there's no specificity and understanding of what's going on, so you're not going to be able to treat with any specificity. Yeah, you know, it's like my car won't start. It's like okay, well, throw some gas in there, throw some oil in there, it start. Okay, good, you're good to go. Car won't start. I did all those things. Like now you're going to have to go to mechanic. <laughs> Yeah, because they'll diagnose what's going on. So yeah. someone was asking someone asked and I and I tried to be as nice as I could with this because I just wanted to help this person. So he the question was, can someone point me in the right direction of the um, the best, most reliable brands of Quan Long oil? Yeah. And, you know, Quan Long oil that I've you know, it's in my book. It's a topical liniment. I was um, told the advice I was given was look for the box that looks like it's just Chinese writing. It's probably yeah, going right, to be a good one, right? <laughs> well, well, here's the here, pretty much, but here's the thing: it's there's only one, there's only one brand, there's only one manufacturer, as far as I know. Oh, okay. Yeah, like that's that's all there is. There's Prince of Peace makes it, and um, you'll see like some variations and like small ones in the in the box. And at one point, sometimes they can't have um, um, uh, one, I'm blanking on one of the ingredients can't be in there because it's toxic. Oh, but nice. other than that, like it's like. It's like, you know, where, what will be the best, best, um, make, if I wanted to get a Ford F-150, which, where should I, you know, where should I, you know, what make vehicle should I get? It's like, there's only one Ford, like it's the Ford F-150. There's no, there's no knockoffs, yeah. which should be a possibility. Um, and you're right. You, you Google it and it comes up all sorts of places mm-hmm. and it is in a foreign language. So that makes you like, okay, I don't know which one's which. So they're, maybe they're, maybe they're faking, but it's only just one. Huh, okay. But, but there's only, only one brand, but the thing with Quan Long oil is like, that's, it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a liquid bandaid hmm. to some degree. And I say bandaid in that it is, has anti-inflammatory processes that can help you get past some inflammation that's been brought about from a chronic overuse injury. Mm-hmm. But that's only a smart idea in my mind, if you're also treating the underlying root of the issue. Absolutely. So that's the branch, Yeah, you know? That goes with um, with everything, right? I mean, when I so had things, looked yeah. into um, stem cell therapy, they were saying that the big thing is, is you they want you to, Adam Lamb was telling me, they want you to take like three months off of training, basically. And then from yeah. there, getting back into it really easy. And then everything I read was, so if you had an instability in a given joint, you know, if the, the structure wasn't working properly, and then you fix the connective tissue. If the structure still isn't working properly, you're just going to do the same thing and make it worse mm-hmm. again. You know? Yeah. I think with stem stem cells too, you have to give them some time to set up shop and replace the tissue. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you keep grinding like, it back down. You know, if, right. you, if you had an issue, just like if you were to use the oil on a right. low back or say a knee pain, there was days I'm sure all of us are probably guilty of this where if your knees hurt, you just wrapped them tighter. That was Ken Hill used to say that. That was one of his. his yeah, his, I yeah, thought he like said that recently, headline. actually. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. That, that's what I've done. You know, I don't have any knee problems now, but I never wrap my knees either. Mm. Yeah. So like, there's, there's a lot of things there. So like you, that's a matter of the stem cells is a matter of understanding how the procedure works. It's like. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you plant a seed and you, you can't just expect for the plant to, you know, have grown the next day. It's like planting the seed is going to give you the plant three months from now yeah. from which you can harvest the tomatoes or whatever. 
So putting the stem cells in, but it's only going to happen if you stay off the ground. If you go in there, you're stomping on the ground all the time. Mm-hmm. You're stomping on the seedling when it's trying to come up. Yeah. You're never going to let it become what you, what you, what the intention is. So that's that's knowing the underlying strategy that you're using. And like you know, ra- wrapping the knees is just saying, "Ah, oh, fuck it. I don't care why it hurts. I'm going to make it not hurt because I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing." Right. Sometimes you you know you blast those like in prep. Sometimes you just have to like just fucking go. Like there's a trade off. Uh-huh. You know, obviously this isn't the healthiest thing to be doing all the things I'm doing to try to look the way I'm going to, I want to look. Right. So you just keep on. But like with the Quan Long oil, there's a specific thing also in that it contains wintergreen is probably the source methyl salicylate, okay. with it, which is methyl salicylic acid, which is just like acetyl salicylic acid, which is aspirin, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, which blunts it, it blocks the cyclooxygenase enzyme and blunts inflammation huh, okay so when you blunt inflammation inflammation is part of directing the turnover turnover of the tissue that you want when tissue gets broken down and then comes back stronger okay so you can actually and, and this has been demonstrated like in some of the muscle damage studies with um nsaids and like there's one particular study with a rabbit for instance where they they damage the muscle and they treat it with nsaids and um, they blunted the damage that was done and the loss of force that was done um, caused by that, that damaging injury protocol. But then when they looked at the tensile strength of the muscle months later, it was reduced. Okay, yeah. Because you, you're, remo- you're blunting the inflammatory response. You're also blunting the remodeling. So if you've got tendon, let's say, whichever one it might be, around your elbow, your knee, what have you, and it's starting to get inflamed because it's not holding up well against the, te- the tensions that you're exposing it to. And it's starting to fray and tear. And this tendonitis is starting to move towards a tendinosis, mm-hmm. you know, which is the next thing. And the next thing would be po- possibly a tear. And you're, you're, you're basically masking that pain with an anti-inflammatory. You're preventing the inflammation to prevent the pain. You're also preventing the normal tissue regeneration that comes about from the loading that makes it stronger. Hmm. Just in the same way that NSAIDs could potentially, depending on how much you use and how hard you train, it could potentially blunt your training. Yeah. Stimulus. So someone who doesn't know like where in their elbow it hurts, they just slap some quant. This kind of make it feel great. Mm-hmm. You know, you be able to push through it, but you keep doing that, and you're also going to be blocking the ultimate recovery that you want, so you can get out of the hole of your injury and not have to use quant long oil mm-hmm. down the road. So that's an important thing. People, that's in my book. I note that in my book. Um, that's a product. You can get, I have an Amazon store. Actually, I have something else to announce too. Yeah, what's that? I have an Amazon store. Yeah? Yeah, I got some products that I mentioned in my book. Oh, nice. That's perfect. Yeah, so for people, it's on my Instagram okay. profile. So you can go there and I don't, I haven't gotten any money or any notifications. Anything, anyone's bought anything, but I've got those all kind of collected there. Okay. As like, you know, Scott approved stuff. That's a great idea. We, yeah. I have that stuff loosely, but I don't have it collected anywhere. Just when people ask or something makes sense, right. I'll put it in the show notes or something. But yeah. Oh, I have a huge spreadsheet I used to give to clients, like, you know, like t- tons of products, like copy, paste, copy, paste. Yeah. It's a yeah. monster. That makes sense then that you would put something yeah. like this together. Good, good, good. Yeah. You, ha- you could do, I think you could do it. I don't know. Like they had, I had, the, I think I used, so my credential for doing that was my Instagram. Yeah, because I had to put my Instagram in to show that I'm, you know, some somewhat uh, notoriable. Some, some. some you mean some to create way. an affiliate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There had to be some amount of notoriety there that. 
I mean, um, I, I already have an affiliate. I, I do have an affiliate account with them. Oh, then you're good to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah um, that's so. Let's see if we have anything else here. There was a question about health and training from our good friend Juan down in Mexico. Um, he, okay, so he initially said, do you have some thoughts on high-intensity training and health? And then I asked him if he could be more specific. And he said, Thank you. Uh, he said, sure. He says, uh, muscle, it's endocrine organ. And keep in mind, English is not his first language. Do you think if we train by high intensity fashion that it would help people with metabolic disease like type two diabetes. Oh, absolutely. Would it help yeah. any more to train high intensity versus another style? Like high intensity resistance training. Yeah. Is that what you mean? I think because he's kind of an HIT guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of two, two aspects of that come to mind. So, if you're talking about type two diabetes, the the main thing that exercise is going to help remedy there, there's a couple things that are going to happen. Um, it's going to help remedy the insulin sensitivity right off the bat, and if you continue to train and you start changing your body composition mm-hmm. um, and reduce your body fat, that's going to help with insulin sensitivity. So a leaner person is going to be um, more insulin sensitive, and you can reverse type two diabetes. You know, if you um, if you haven't gotten to the point where over the years you're, you're tail spinning towards a type one insulin dependent mm. diabetes type situation. So without a doubt, exercise generally can do that. Most of the time they looked at cardiovascular exercise, but that without a doubt can be done and happens. Um, so as far as like HIT, which is low volume and so a lower volume program, um, for the average person, because I know how Juan trains, he's on my discussion board. He's posted some videos. The man's a friggin' monster. Yes, he'll he's like hearing like, that too. Like, oh yeah, no, it's like Jordan esque intensity. Oh, that's awesome, man. He goes to town, baby. Yeah, like he goes. There's a stiff legged deadlift. I can't remember what the weight was. This sizable amount of weight, and it's one of those sets where you're like, like this this guy's going to hell. And, and in fact, he's going to hell with the spear to stab the devil in the heart. You know, he's like, there's no stopping him. Yeah. He's going in, you know, and uh, cause he just keeps going, you know, like most people would have gotten, most people wouldn't even pick the weight up given how hard it was, but he gets like eight reps, something like that. But nice. So that type of effort with HIT is going to produce lots of muscle. And it's also going to cr- produce a lot of inroads into recovery. It's going to in of itself, the energy expenditure is pretty high, mm-hmm. but it tends to produce an epoch from what I've seen training really mm-hmm. hard. And that's going to, positively affect body composition hmm. there's something to say said for training with big group muscle groups like that really really hard taking shit to failure going to town yeah <laughs> most people the average person who's got already has type 2 diabetes hmm. is probably not going to be so inclined to train in, a, in with hit for getting good muscle gains although they might be physiologically genetically predisposed to gaining the best from that kind of a strategy they're probably not going to want to do it yeah just guessing their lifestyle just from the fact that they have that big marker of i like to eat and be sedentary yeah um not necessarily everybody but that's you know what you tip that's a predictor of type 2 diabetes genetics are as well so that person's probably not going to do all that well with an hit although that that to answer his question it can be done without a doubt Hmm. Someone, someone who's in that situation would probably be better off doing whatever it is if they want to lift weights, 
whatever type of training style I, they find to be the most fun that they can maintain and mm. keep, keep using. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, like the body composition changes will, will be reflected in insulin sensitivity. Hmm. So as long as, you know, if you get leaner and you stay leaner, which in and of itself is a huge feat. You know, a lot of people, you know, don't, they, they get, make improvements and then they, they revert back. You know, a year or two later, sure. you know, like biggest loser type of thing. I think, you know, some of those folks just go back to where they once were. <clears throat> but interestingly enough, a lot of them, the insulin sensitivity effects of exercise are very short lived. They don't, they don't, la- they don't last that long. There's really? an acute effect. Yeah. A lot of which is reversed. Huh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So. But getting leaner, and then, but you're going to train, you know, three times a week. So the you're going to spend almost all that time with improved insulin sensitivity. Yeah. You know, unless you know, unless you do something crazy with your diet. So finding like a higher volume, you know, more moderate intensity type of regime that's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking like uh, this is just you know this is a two year on horn thing, but fortitude training is seems to be a really fun way to train for lots of people who like to really train pretty hard. Yeah, and, and I know this just I'm thinking of like there are a few people now um, that I know of. There's a, actually two gyms that I know of where they use fortitude training for the lifestyle clients. Oh no, kidding! That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, there's I did a seminar at one one of them in Indiana, like right after the Arnold. Okay. And yeah, so they have, um, it's funny, it was kind of, kind of fun. They've got several trainers there and uh-huh. a couple of them, they, they do a three, they, three times a week. They use the family man plan okay. basically. Yeah. Yeah. So like Monday's heavy legs, light upper body, Wednesday's heavy upper body, light legs. And then Friday is, is muscle rounds, full body. And they just train, train that way three times a week yeah. and they love it. It's like, cause every day is like, it's, it's like, Oh God, I got the same old shit again. You know? Yeah. And it's really enjoyable. And so they keep on doing that. But it's hard. These guys like to train hard, too. They were a lot of fun to be with. Hmm. We ran them through the ringer a little bit there at the end of the of the uh, seminar I did. So they enjoyed it, you know. And that's so that's the main thing. I think it's funny. Like, initially, you don't want stuff. You, you have to ri- ride that line with especially people who are in that, who are in this disease state who are coming in. And you're asking them, okay, so you don't, I mean, you don't have to take insulin right now. Mm-hmm. You're just being told by your doctor that your glucose levels are too high. Yeah. So that's not like putting the fear of God in you quite yet. Right. It's it's not like you're like you're seeing like people like, you know, just, you know, dropping like flies around you from type two diabetes. But so there's no like immediate reward in going and doing something to prevent a future that, you know, might only be imp- a diagnosis that might only impact your future twenty years from now. Mm-hmm. So how, like so first you bring someone to the gym and you know you don't want to be like that butthead trainer who wants to show your client like how hard you can push people and you just right. you know drop them that's just like no that's the wrong way they'll never want to exercise again they'll be sore as shit probably blah blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. so you got to find something that's that that fits within their realm of possibilities what they can accomplish and not feel like they've just been tortured mm-hmm. so like fortitude training would be too much yeah. Someone like for us to be confusing if they've never trained before. They're like, what the fuck are we? You could guide them through it on a day by day easily. Actually, it's not that hard to do. No, it wouldn't be if you're these right are, there. These are lower. Yeah, these are lower rep. These are higher reps. You just you get them on the pump sets. You like you watch what they do, and then you just make up a pump set as they go along. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Muscle rounds. You can figure that out in a couple weeks. But they'd be too hard, too much intensity. Mm-hmm. So, but you get them to wherever their effort level is that's maintainable. 
in this case, and in, introduce variety. So, like, if you if I, I think Juan's big on HIT and DC training, that's kind of stuff without a doubt, a great way to train for muscle mass. I have that built into fortitude training. So, we'll have some days where, like, okay, we're going to do it one day a week. We're going to do some heavy stuff for your legs. It's going to make your legs grow. Mm-hmm. The other days, we're going we're gonna to chill with the legs. We're not going to try to beat you up, but we're going to just a couple sets, hmm. big ones, and then you're done. Then you earned your bagel yeah. or whatever, you know? So, and then the rest of it, you just, but you make it fun and keep it within those lifting parameters where they're, they're pushed a little bit, but they know they're never going to be pushed too much. Mm-hmm. And then they always can lay back so they can auto-regulate based on their lifestyle or what have you. And you just find their comfort zone relative to the sports structure they have at home and with the trainers and everyone else. And then, so you do your best you can, but the main thing with something like type two diabetes is it's, it's not like you fix it and you walk away. You got to find something where you can continue to keep fixing it because the resistance, because the insulin sensitivity will degrade and the lifestyle changes will revert. Yeah. So finding something that is sustainable is, is the name of the game. Ultimately, not something that's optimal, but sustainable. That does make sense. And then, hey, who knows down the road, if they get into that, then then maybe they'll get a little bit more intense later. It happens, like right, like there's who was I talking to? Someone like it's when people um they quit smoking. Okay. It's like and I, there's got to be a term for this because it's the opposite of the abstinence violation effect. Okay. So the abstinence violation effect is you you're you you quit smoking, mm-hmm. and and we talk about this in regards to exercise and and dieting all the time. You quit smoking, and then you you uh, violated that abstinence, and then you're like, ah, fuck it, and you just start smoking again. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's just one cigarette. It's not like it undid the fact that you hadn't smoked for five months. Just one cigarette. Just get back on the wagon. Right. And people are like, like they, they do that. Some of this is physiological because when you're dieted down and you eat a bunch of carbs you haven't been, mm-hmm. your ghrelin sensitivity is really high, and the ghrelin will drive your appetite. So oh, some sure. of it's, it's a physiological runaway train. But some of it's also probably in your head, and you're like, ah, shit, you know? I, fuck it, I don't care. I, I, I ate a breakfast, suck. This is going to be a whole cheat day, and you yeah. just go to town. I'm getting burgers, I'm getting pizza, the whatever. But the opposite happens, and I, and I don't know what this term is. Maybe I'll have to dig it up, but it's where, and you, and you see this as well, when people, they make one, they, they don't want to live with sort of the cognitive dissonance of doing one very healthful behavior, health behavior mm-hmm. and not doing others that are commensurate with that. Mm. So they stop oh, smoking, yeah. Yeah. and I'm yeah. You've seen this, right? It's really you see everyone knows someone who's or probably multiple people who this is. So they stop smoking, and then they become a health nut. Yeah, right. Yeah, they start doing everything, you know. And like they they go they, they go over the deep end, like you know, it's like I'm eating nothing but you know nuts and lettuce. And, you see that a lot know, in recovery, people who oh, get absolutely. into alcohol and drug recovery, you know, and 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 that gets pretty extreme, you know, at times. Yeah. Like the abstinence violence, all that, all this is kind of drug recovery types. The beha- a lot of the behavior, I mean, not a, not a lot of it, but some some portion of the um, health behavior literature hmm. is based on you know people who do very unhealthy behaviors because there's good reason to study them. Hmm. Okay, you know, it's like if you have someone who's 25 and has no you know immediate health concerns that's gonna you know cause them to maybe not be around in a few months. Yeah, you know. Because because they're not an addict on the street injecting shit that kind of thing, it's hard. You know, it's harder to get money to study those things which have long term health outcomes. We're we're about in so many ways immediate. You know, tell me how it's going to help right now. Yeah. Um. But so another model that's that's relevant, I think, is people who are who have 
pretty severe eating disorders or they mm-hmm. have drug addictions or they have really aberrant behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's a model for, you know, less aberrant behavior, but it's still a model for human behavior. Mm-hmm. So it can be applied, I think, even if, you know, the direct studies aren't there. It's I think it's, you know, useful guiding information at least to figure out. So, yeah, like if someone like they start doing that and then like, well, thing I love, you know, what I love best after my workouts, I go over and I get the, um, you know, the smoothie yet, whatever smoothie King, it's got this, that, and it's got spirulina and all the good, like, you know, super juices that are yeah. hot on the presses at the time. And they do that. So like, that's their treat to themselves. But look at all of us. I think, you know, I did a podcast a while ago with the guys from cerebral entertainment and oh, good. Yeah. I'm they, I think that's I may have asked you. We talked about this. Okay. Well, we, know, maybe I sent them to you. I'm not sure. I can't remember. We, we they they listened to BNR, Bodybuilding right. Nerds Radio, and then they expanded listening to advices from there, and then it kind of right. it grew. But um, what it one of the things we talked about? I'd been on there a few times. We did like a three part show about exercise, about training for people that mm-hmm. were newer. And here's the mindset that I had with it was that I I, I thought okay, let's talk about training in one segment let's talk about diet in another segment and then let's talk about like wrap it all together plus supplementation in the third segment and i thought well what should i do first and then i thought to myself i feel like training is what comes first i think this what you're telling me it's like this is i think everybody really it's like you start exercising and then you start thinking to yourself like well shit if i exercise i want to eat something healthy that'll help me be better at this, you know? And then, and then it, it, you know, I think everybody who's on like the, the six meal a day plan eating clean didn't start doing that. And then exercising, you know what I mean? Like we got healthy because Mm -hmm. we fell in love with lifting weights. Like it all goes back, I think to the exercise first. For us, without a doubt, there are, there are people, I know people who have really, really very specific, Healthful diets, at least their opinions that what they've they've chosen the healthiest diet, but they don't exercise very much. It's not very I've often. I've seen that. Yeah, I have seen that yeah. too. But I feel like everybody who lifts weights started with weights and then went to yeah. diet. You know. Yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't like make any sense. It's kind of like it's like buying a you know a luxury vehicle and then you know you just like you go through the McDonald's drive-throughs and eat your burgers and throw the yeah. wrappers on the floor. It's like. <laughs> What you, that's a friggin' Jaguar. Why do you have French fries on the floorboard? Like, <laughs> yes. what are you doing? You know? Yeah. So, like, this doesn't make sense. So, you, you kind of go in one direction. It's just, it, it, and it, it's nice that that happens, but you want to you wanna play on that and even and even reinforce it, I think. Yeah. yeah. You know, in a way that, so, so it's not, so it's not adding to, um, because there's a certain load that you do carry when, you start behaviors like this. You know, there's there are still barriers to action. There are some, still some things that can get in the way. It's like, oh, you know, I I just really want to go to the gym today. I think I should, or yeah. you know, it's getting late or it's cold or what have you. So if if then you start, you know, adding all, then you set the bar for yourself that's pretty high. Mm-hmm. It's like so, you know, shit. Is it if I can't eat right, should I even be trained? Does it make any difference? You've seen this one too. Yeah. So like you start eating perfectly and timing and counting all your meals and you get a six pack bags and you're doing all the, you completely transform and all of a sudden like some of those things break down. And then because you're, then people will feel like, well, since I can't carry the full load of doing all those things correctly, then fuck the rest of it. Yeah. Then you create an absence. Then you build a deck of cards or house of cards for yourself. You knock one out, the whole house comes tumbling down. Mm. 
So the the idea I think would be is that those that those other behaviors that come in after the training mm-hmm. are reinforcing, um, not adding to the burden that potentially could bring bring the house of cards down, but rather making the training more fun and more enjoyable and integrating it all together in a way that all helps 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 itself. So the training means I get to eat in the ways I like to like to eat, and when I eat those eat well, I get to, I can train harder and I feel better. Yeah. And the two things reinforce one another in a positive way. So so even if one thing falls away, then you're like, instead of saying, ah, fuck it, it's like, oh, man, oh my, God, my diet's felt crappy and I just feel sluggish and the work, my workouts suck. Fuck, I like to train. Fuck this. I'm going to start eating good again. Yeah, yeah. You want to you want to you recorrect the correct balance of those things you've all you, that you put together to, to, for the sort of symbiotic relationship um, with your lifestyle that you want to have. So that's kind of the way I think to couch it all. But if you start pushing things on someone, it won't happen that way. It has to sort of come about organically or maybe through the guidance of a coach or trainer says, you know, this would be a great thing to have afterwards. Oh, my God, I love the strawberry shakes they have over there. And it's a great thing for you because of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I got to well, let's a see if we can squeeze one more in here. All this right. is from Clint Shover. And he says, um, uh, what would cause RBC? hemoglobin hematocrit and protein to be low protein is down from 6.7 to 6 hematocrit is 39 he's running test at a thousand milligrams and he's six weeks into that i wish my hematocrit would get lower on a thousand milligrams of test hell i wish it would get lower on 500 should i I got a question myself should i up my test from 600 to a thousand to lower my hematocrit scott because if it'll do that, I'm going to jump on that today. Let me. I'm going to read this question. He yeah. doesn't. Clint, do you have um? What was your hematocrit beforehand? Thirty nine is. He says it's down though. No, he just. What would cause those things to be low? The protein went down. The hematocrit just gave me a value for it. Yeah. If anything, and that's six point seven to six. I wouldn't say that's probably especially notable that that could be within measurement error. Okay. Um, that's pretty, I would, I would wait to see, I mean, the, the red blood cells have, um, a life cycle that's I think around 90 days people usually talk about. So okay. if he were low, if he were <laughs> a thousand for six weeks, he, it, it's just about now things should be climbing up. So if he were hypogonadal and he started, um, the gram of test week, and because he's like, fuck it, I, I feel like shit. It may take some time before the hematocrit starts to starts to, to raise. We well, said um, he said he used to be at 48 on him. Now, it can't be hematocrit. It can't be 48. Oh, yeah, I guess it could be 48 on uh, hematocrit. Sure. And that would be in the so he's down to 39. It dropped nine points. It, it could be his bunk test, too. I wonder. I wonder yeah. if Dr. Dean St. Martin says, happy holidays, guys. Let's do that. Yeah, Dr. Dean, that would be a good question for him. I mean, it's, I'm trying to think of any like non-genetic based, I mean, like, there's, I mean, endurance athletes can get foot strike hemolysis. Another Clint popped up. Where, you know, they like because they're doing so much running and the feet are pounding on the ground that they, they end up rupturing red blood cells that can reduce. Oh, wow. Uh, 
but I don't think that's it. He just popped up. I saw his avatar. Clint's a big dude. Yeah, he's a big so, dude. Yeah, he's a really big dude. He uh, looks like he's on a thousand milligrams of test. <laughs> <laughs> this is that's a cruise for for Clint. Yes. yes. Um, Laura Montana. I think it's really beautiful out there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, are you stalking him right now? Is that what's going on here? No, I I I'm, I just I see his um what pops up when I when I hover above his oh, avatar. Or his, yeah, does went to Laurel High School, Laura Montana. Um, Shout out to Laurel High School. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know where that. But Laurel, Montana. Yeah, just I think I think I've been through there. But one of my journeys. That's a good question, Clint. Man, I would. Um, a chemical exposure is something possible. He works at a refinery. Huh. That's what it says. CHS refinery. That's uh, weird. I would. Yeah, I would go. I would probably go and see the doc. Unless, you know, it used to be 48, and unless he, I mean, it could still be a bunk testing. So here's a situation. If Clint, and I'm not saying you were or weren't doing this, but if you were on a full-blown cycle, mm-hmm. and, and some guys do this, not saying he does or doesn't, some guys cruise on a gram. Yeah. You know, like literally like they, or, or they will, you know, or 500 or what have you. So um, they, they take all the other extra goodies out and they run. And I've, and I've actually not thinking back, I think of several people that have said they kind of do this thing. So, so they're sticking with the gram, like that's their sort of base. Um, cause they don't want to go all the way down to a true HRT. They just have come to this place that this is how they do it. So they add things on DECA or EQ or what have you on top of that. And they come back to a gram. So it could, if it's, here's a possible scenario, Clint, you don't have to confirm or deny this, but at all but you know maybe if you were on something bigger than that beforehand and then you came off and started a new Hmm. kind of test um maybe that test is bunk and you're not losing you're not feeling too much as far as hematocrit goes um because you've still got the residual effects of all the other stuff that was once in your system and now it's starting to come out but 39 is low and it could i mean you can get you can get hemolysis at, at the blood test too you know that can that can throw things off yeah you can get a bad you can get a bad phlebotomist who makes an error with the tourniquet and yeah. that can also retesting probably wouldn't be a bad idea huh? i would definitely retest you know and if you've got a doctor that, that that takes care of you see what he or she thinks about some other tests that you can look into because yeah, that's a that's a substa- if that's accurate it's a big drop yeah right that's getting pretty low yeah. and i could use to learn how you did that so teach me your ways <laughs> that's too much though you don't want to go that low i'll take half uh, of that clint do you know what your hemoglobin was he says uh he did add to uh go back to the doctor i started taking iron a month ago to see if that would help this was the second yeah. uh test that was low damn so he's done it twice um i would i would make sure you're eating like uh, red meat sources, heme-based iron, that'll help. Heme, yeah. Um, there's also some possibility of vitamin interference with um, iron uptake, so, so check into that. Huh. Hey, on a related note, can I ask you your thoughts on um, inositol for lowering hematocrit? Um, I started using this um, maybe about six weeks ago now, and I haven't been huh. tested since. Um, but I, from what I understand, it can it can lower a few points. From what yeah. Dante had said, it it can be helpful to lower it maybe two three points for somebody that's on TRT. But for somebody on cycle, it's not going to be like a, a a massive drop. Do you have any uh, thing to add to that? 
Yeah, is it IP6 and acetyl 6 phosphate? Yes. Or? Yes. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a iron chelating supplement. So what it basically does is prevents iron absorption. Okay. So your the, the idea, as far as I understand, like it's a pretty simple thing. You're just just depriving your body of iron okay. as essential material for producing heme in the red blood cells. So you're basically just saying, you know, you don't want to make the the bricks that are um, your red blood cells. Well, we're not going to provide the cement that's needed okay. to make those bricks. Just like the heme being the analogous to this or the iron being analogous to the cement mm, so okay. when you've got a badass supercharged brick making machine in place when you're super supplementing it may not fucking matter it's like they can make bricks no matter what we got pl- we'll figure out a way i'm really good at making um, bricks yeah you're yeah you're too high okay yeah so it, it, i mean here's the thing though there's you know there's synergy and the potential that things could can be somewhat additive okay. too you know so that I don't think it's going to hurt you unless you like end up being iron deficient. Yeah. So like, check your ferritin and that kind of thing. You know, make sure your your iron status is good in the blood. Okay. Um, and but you know if you do some of the other things that you may have in mind, you know, like donating that kind of stuff, then it'll mean you just got a little bit get a little bit from pull from the various possibilities and and use them all. Yeah. In reasonable amounts, you know. Yeah. So, but I wouldn't like start you know pouring a half a cup of IP six into your <laughs> breakfast coffee. <laughs> Got it right now, actually right here. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Nice. Um, all right. We're, we're about out of time here. Um, it's good to see you again, Scott. It's been a little while. Yeah. yeah likewise, man. I'm gl- I'm so glad I'm back on Facebook again. I was like, just like jonesing for Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I was glad. That it's nice to see people. It's funny. I just, I added like maybe, or I asked requested like, probably a hundred people today. I just went on there and just started, you know, clicking all the ones. And yeah. so there wasn't any, like if you didn't get added, it's just because I just went through the list that it suggested to me. Right. Right. I just added, I added like the people that I recognize essentially. Were you able um, to get a profile picture up yet? <laughs> I did. I think so. I first, when I went to go on my phone, mm-hmm. it would kept on referring me back to the hackers oh, email. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, fuck this. So I, t- cause I had taken Facebook off my phone and I was doing some other things. I'm like, oh, I got to load Facebook on, log on. And I don't know that my, um, cause what I did, like, cause Facebook, I'm going to just leave Facebook out as like, I just use the, just the Apple, the Mac suggested, um, strong password, which is a series of dashes and yeah. like gobble. That you'll never remember. You have that to, I'll yeah. never, that I don't plan on remembering and I don't want to remember. Yeah. And you know, that way there's no password in there that I'm going to use anywhere else that anyone can make use of. So yeah. I'm going to start using those for like. Because I get up, you, you said you said you register at places all the time, yeah. Just for getting packages, you might order one thing, and and I, you know, I'm going to start using those generic passwords. Because if I if I don't have a membership at some place or ordered something from two years ago, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, right. But anyway, so it took me a while to get on there, and then I did add a picture. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and I did it through my phone. I just like whatever. I just want to because when you, people are like, "Who the hell is this?" Like, there's no profile picture. That's obviously you know fake account. Right, right exactly you and me yeah and it just wouldn't load it for people who are wondering why scott's asking it wouldn't load i made the um i made the account and then I literally i click upload and it would just you know spin 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 yeah so facebook um i don't know what the deal is i have one more question for you yeah do you plan to make any new year's resolutions i the thought had not crossed my mind one time actually no <laughs> No, well, because I'm constantly in a state of trying to 
re-engineer sure. my worldview and my perspective on life to make it as as rewarding and growth promoting and creative and authentic and loving as I possibly can. Like it's like that's my daily grind. Yeah. Is to is to give expression to a better version of me. Yeah. In any way I can. So I mean, I, get, I, I could maybe come up with one that's sort of like, you know, sort of a long-term plan because it's nice to make plans and, like, commit yourself to something. But yeah, that's a really good question. I, I have all sorts of things I want to have happen that I could talk about, but that would take us way off track. Okay, okay. I was just wondering. I try, to, I try to make a few uh, every year, but I don't just do it, like, by New Year's and New Year's Day I set this. But I am making a list uh, of things that I want to do. Um, one of them is build a website for my coaching because I've never built a website oh. for my coaching. It's simple, you know, but I, yeah. I do a lot of other stuff and I've always just put it off and I've never needed to just, you know, word of mouth referrals and stuff have worked out great. But I think mm-hmm. I should, I, you know, I want to have a website, so keep it, keep it simple. Just something easy to a, a, a splash page of sorts, you know, if you, um, like it, it's very easy to do. You, it may even be part of whoever you have hosts whatever ISP yeah. you use. Um, I, I use uh, my BB. It's an open source bulletin board like V bulletin. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I can give you access to mine. You can check out. It's got, it's basically fully functional. It does everything that the, uh, my BB, which costs like $800 or a thousand a year does, but it's free. Okay. And you can download that. And here's how I do my, my online clients. And you this is, I got, I stole this from Ken Hill. Okay. 100%, cause, cause it's, it works great. So you have your open board, your forum. People can ask questions, and I, for, for what it's worth, I have I have free Q and A like every day on my discussion board for anyone who bought the Fortitude Training book. Yeah, buy the book if you happen to read the, the, the email that you get with the purchase. It tells you this. People just don't take advantage of it um, for whatever reason. So, so there's a discussion board with all the forums and all that kind of, like intense muscle, professional muscle, all the you know devices forum, and then I have a totally invisible forum unless you are a client yeah and when i do my intake they fill out a form and it launches a thread in that forum that only that person my my client and myself can see that is cool yeah skip told me about his yeah yeah exactly you know and i'm an admin over at intense muscles just because i help out when shit hits the fan i go in there and have to figure out how to fix it you know yeah just because he i just i like to do that you know yeah, that's, you know, giving back to, to Ken whenever I can. But I see like he's uh, he's got tons of people back there. Yeah. You know, so no one else sees that you go to that forum, the clients forum as a client. All you see is your thread. Right, right, right. And whatever stickies are there. But I see all the threads and you can get notifications just like you can all that kind of stuff. So you don't like if they message you, you get a notification on your phone and your email. You go and you check it. You respond. You can post your pictures. It's all there. Then you can go back and look. Like Jordan, for instance, at one point in time when we worked together there, he he told me like this was maybe a year ago that he went back and looked at one of our times working together. It was like three years previous to that. No kidding. That's cool. Yeah. Because it still has access to it. Yeah. So it was very cool. And he said he was like, man, I just I saw some things that I hadn't been doing now. And like he did this all on his own, you know, always, you know, trying to make himself better. And, um, and he's like, and that was a phenomenal prep. It was just so amazing. Like he now as having coached as many people as he has, he was able to look back on that and reflect on like, that was like a, just, you, we we just worked that perfectly. Right. It's funny that like down the road, you can see that, you know, but you don't always see that when you're newer. 
Right, yeah, that, and down the road that you can literally, like, literally see that. Like, you can go back and look that at it. That is cool. As long as the board's up. Otherwise, those emails get lost, or you change your email, or if it's... Yeah, I used them. to use an encrypted email. Okay. You know, and, like, you have so much storage space, and then, like, you have to go back, and sometimes, like, well, what, let's put those, you know, those emails and, um, you know, store them away, so you have to reopen them, unarchive them, and that kind right. of shit. This is nice. It's all right there. And it's unlimited. If you have the right right um, account, it's unlimited. So I'll help you set that up. I'd set up one for Dave Henry's page where he's where he coaches people. Okay. He yeah, I'd love that. to talk to yeah. you about that more. Yeah. And anyone else, like just people know that it's a very simple way to do it. My BB. So right. public and service announcement. Speaking of websites, go over to fortitudetraining.net as well as byobbcoach.com. And um Thanks for watching, guys. As I mentioned in the beginning, if you haven't subscribed, we'd love to have you over at the YouTube page. A bunch of podcasts coming out each week. Scott, as always, man, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Happy New Year. Do something fun, safe, and something maybe you've never done before. And let us know what it is if you so choose.